All right. Happy Wednesday. Happy Tuesday. Happy Thursday. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're watching and listening another epic episode of Untold Stories, where together, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, Bitcoin's OGs, those who are around, those who truly understand what's going on today, last week, in the future, uh, to truly understand how this movement came to be and uh, and how we're and, and where we're going and, and all the stories in between and all the fun people, all the information, all the learning that we're getting. It's so much fun to do. So thank you guys for joining me on another epic episode. And today we're going to be joined by uh, a new friend of mine, Bobby Zagata, who's the CEO of Bitstamp. He's down at Money 2020 right now. So if you can see his background, he's got he's got a lot of stuff going on, but he's taking 45 minutes to to give us kind of where the the mark the world is right now in terms of crypto and what people are building. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Great to be here. Well, first, I actually want to there was a story that I was going to talk about on yesterday's episode. I totally forgot to tell to tell the listeners. So I want to start off with that. Um, a friend of our, a friend of my wife's and I passed away like in 2017, and he had left some Bitcoin to his very, very close friend. And our friend knew he was, you know, unfortunately, he was like a big Bitcoin OG too. He was one of the first people to like leave Morgan Stanley in a very fashionable way. He'd like stormed out, I quit in like 20, oh my, 2012, I think it was, and became like full-time Bitcoin. And uh, he left some Bitcoin to his long, long partner, uh, very close friend. And um, it was the private key was jarbled the writing. We couldn't read it. There was a whole thing. And we couldn't, you know, for, we couldn't figure out. And there was like, there's a guy, I talk about him on the show a lot, Dave from Wallet Recovery Services. And um, uh, I just have to give him some, some, some props because I was literally sitting just on the chair the other day and I got an email and it was like, hey, Charlie, just want to let you know that so-and-so's Bitcoin has finally been recovered. And I, I start crying. I'm like, five years later, five years, I for, we forgot. And he was able to recover. They got it as part of the whole will thing. It went, the Bitcoin was able yeah. to get to her. And um, it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful, I just wanted to share it with everyone. It's such a beautiful story. It's amazing. I, I, I'm getting choked up just, just thinking about it. I don't even know these people, but, uh, but yeah, that, that uh, it's beautiful that your friends and his legacy got to finally, you know, make it to their destination. That's great. Oh, it really is a beautiful thing. And uh, you're, you you talk about legacy. I think about him a lot. And uh, he he he's the reason that like so many people actually got into into Bitcoin. So many so many of the early people. Um, and so it's really good to see that maybe maybe his legacy will live on in that in that positive way. But you um, you're the CEO of Bitstamp. You were the chief commercial officer over at my friend Jesse's company, Kraken. You worked uh, uh, at the C at the CME group, so you really understand traditional markets in a huge way. But and and you now understand the crypto world. You're at Money 2020 right now. Is there anything intriguing you? Is there anything that you're seeing right now? Any types of technologies that you're looking for? Are you looking at projects that are at certain stages in their markets? What what is exciting you right now out there? Yeah, well, there's there's uh, there's so much interesting innovation going on. I don't have to tell you, Charlie, and and, and we should talk about each and every one of them. But oh, I'll be God. honest with you: the the thing that I'm most excited about now is it's it's not actually the most cutting edge stuff. It's it's more, you know, 
enabling the blocking and tackling of the crypto ecosystem to reach further into the into the world, into the traditional financial services space and, and into the rest of society. So, you know, I'm at Money 2020 in, in Amsterdam, as you mentioned, and you know, this this is this conference is full of fintechs and and increasingly traditional financial services companies. And they're all trying to solve one problem, which is what is our answer to crypto? You know, is, is this an opportunity? Is it a risk for these different platforms, what have you? And what's our angle? And they're not, um, most of them, they're really just into enabling their customers to participate. It's, it's not about, um, you know, you know the, the next most brilliant use case for the most interesting coin, coin project or, or even NFTs um, at this conference. But, but um, so anyway, I'm, what I'm very excited about is just bringing it further. Because I live in the U.S., and although I travel a lot, uh, not as much as, as I'd like to have in the past two years, because I live in the U.S., I look at, uh, and my listenership is like 51% non-U.S., uh, just so, and that's why I, I really love being able to do this, so I you could talk to all these audiences. Um, I'm, li- I'm, I'm, you know, investing in Bitcoin and crypto and looking at Bitcoin and crypto and the companies from like a very American perspective, and I struggle with this. Like, I can't pull myself out of it sometimes. And I forget that like what really has brought this industry to where it is today is is the global world. Like you can almost remove America, the US, you know, from from it and the demand will still be there. In fact, it's very different. Like people in 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 these other places look at Bitcoin and crypto as completely differently than 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 I would. Do you do you, do you think do you see that? I, I do, I do, and this is a, actually a real source of motivation for me too. So, um, and and it it plays out in a couple of different ways. Yeah, that you know, there's nuances between the U.S. market and the European market, and even parts of the Asian market, perhaps. But what's really interesting is in certain economies, um, you know, crypto is not purely recreational, right? It's not. It's not a, just an investment opportunity like like a stock or something. It's a lifeline. It's literally a lifeline um, because they live in in um, write that down in in a, in a jurisdiction where they can't necessarily trust their institutions. You know, they can't trust their central bank and that even that even their private banks from from not getting them in trouble. So people. You know, and you know, everyone likes to pick on Venezuela or whatever. But you know, there's there's a, there's plenty of meaningful economies where people work their whole lives, they create value for themselves, and then it evaporates because their government can't manage the the, the inflation, and they can't trust their central bank, and and even their banks are are you know are, are questionable. So, so um, that's something that you know, for for you, I'm sure many of us in this space, you know, we really care about. We want to help solve so that people can have agency and have independence and not be so dependent on these these institutions. Uh, if I could add just one more thing, Charlie, it, we we recently at Bistamp did a a, ma- a major survey, twenty eight thousand respondents, and it was about trust in crypto and trust in 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 cryptocurrency and the crypto ecosystem. And um, one of the things that came out of that survey in a very pronounced way is that first of all, trust in crypto across all jurisdictions, we, we uh, did the survey in 23 geographies was higher than expected, but in wow. developing economies, it was the highest. So the Nigeria was the very highest 
um, trust for crypto. And I believe that's because they can trust, they don't have as much trust in their traditional institutions. Wow. And like half my listeners are say, are like nodding their heads saying, yeah, we know this. And the other half are like, wow, I never really thought about it this way. We've been, you know, you've been, you've been in the space a long time, uh, working, working with like some, some really amazing ideological people who've gotten in the space very early. We've been like preaching this stuff for a while. And I think this year, especially like this year, we've ha- we're at a point where we are at the edge of our seats waiting on what the central bankers are saying in meetings more than the, the presidents do. Like, like the Bank of England, the Federal Reserve Bank in the US, the, uh, the Central Bank of, Tok- of, 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 of Japan, like um, how our central banks on a very sensitive level are going, you know, pulling the levers of our economy for, for better or for worse. Like I'm not even saying if it's good or bad, but it's like this year more than, and, and in my adult life, at least in my, in anyone I've talked to, this is like since the seventies, at least where it's like very, and it was a different world. It's like very, we're like at the edge of our seats, right? Like we've never had this before. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's quite amazing. And, um, and, you know, obviously I'm very aware of it in the U S but you're absolutely right in, you know, all of the, um, you know, really, uh, scaled economies of the world. This is a phenomenon, right? It's almost that the political kind of pecking order is, is being subverted a bit and people, um, you know, are caring more about the decisions that impact their, you know, their, their ability to manage their wealth or their, or, or their livelihood, um, versus many of the kind of political back and forth about peripheral issues. Um, well, I'm sure they're quite important issues, but, but, um, but the, let's say less solvable, um, societal issues that seem to just go back and forth, uh, on the political, on the political stage. Politics, especially now during a, a lot of congressional elections that are happening in the next year and in the presidential election, uh, it's, it's changing everything, but I want to, I want to flip a script. So let's go back in, let's go back in history a little bit. Um, so you, so, so Bitstamp, oh man, it's probably the world's longest running crypto company other than BitPay and blockchain.info. I can't think of any other company that's just still continuing to grow and, and be uh, since 2010, 2011, I can't. And blockchain.info is like not doing the same thing that it used to do. And BitPay, BitPay is still doing payment processing. Those guys, Tony and Steven, I mean, they need, they need you know, the, like an award for just continuing to, to grow that, like the longest business, but Bitstamp. So I remember in 2011, I got invited with, with Eric Voorhees, Roger Veer, and Gavin Anderson the, to, to Austria, where I met Nath for the first time, the founder, I think it was Damien too, of Bitstamp. And this was like the first time that anyone, like like a business group, it was like just the 15 of us. Actually, the Bitcoin Foundation founding came from that meeting in, in a cafe in Austria. But the question I have is how the hell is this company still around like 13 years later? How are you guys doing it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I, uh, I've got a few comments on that and um, I would love to hear more about that 
that cafe in Austria, that, that, that was where the magic uh, started, I think. Um, you know, I will say this, it, it is the longest running uh, crypto exchange. And as a matter of fact, I spoke with Tony at BitPay today. <laughs> he came by our, our booth at Money 2020 and we were, we were joking about this because he said, uh, actually, we, BitPay, started one month before uh, Bitstamp. Um, so he, he, gets, he gets the ticket there. And, and to your point, they're just doing a great job just believing and chugging and adding merchants. So uh, it was great to see him. For, for Bitstamp, you know, I can't say enough about the DNA that Nates and Damien built into this company. Um, you know, just just the the values um, that that they kind of instilled and that still drive the company forward. And I'm so kind of psyched to be a part of it. Um, and then also, I think the company just made some really good decisions along the way. And again, before before I before I was here, I've just been here ten months, but. Um, but for instance, you know, they uh, very early on invested in industrial strength technology. You know, they basically said, hey, we have great technology. Uh, it's great for retail investors and, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, casual um, kind of hodlers. But, but for, you know, for those days that they could foresee that when Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and you know, jump trading and all of these guys are in the markets. We need we need industrial strength technology. So they partnered with NASDAQ uh, a few years ago for matching technologies and and others. You know, I think that was a really pivotal kind of decision. And then the other thing I would point to that I think they did very, very well and 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 we're still leveraging today is is, you know, sounds cliche, but just customer focus. Um and and the desire to meet customers wherever they are. So I think some crypto companies are a little bit elitist when it comes to who they want to talk to, who they want to market to, who they want to serve. Um, and and Bitstamp is not that way. Bitstamp is, you know, if you're brand new to the market or if you're OG, we can we can <laughs> we can uh, uh, talk to you and serve you and work with you um, on on any part of the spectrum. And that's true for institutions or for, or for, um, you know, investors. Customer service. When, when I could tell you every company that have, that has died over the years, that was once like the largest going back to Mount Gox. Uh, every single one has just been at some point in time, they, they stopped paying attention to their customer. It was the reason, yeah. one of the reasons Bit Instant went down. My company, I'll definitely admit that. We couldn't keep up with the customers. I was doing it out of my basement. Uh, you know, and then and then you had companies like Coinbase. Now it's like they're, they're famous now. They can't you can't get someone on the phone, although they've gotten a lot better with that. Um, but the companies that focus on their customer support, it's such a simple thing. It's a, in fact, at that meeting, it was funny story at that same meeting. I was on my laptop doing customer support emails when Roger, who was my first investor in Bit Instant, walked behind me and hit me on the back of the head. He was looking at my computer screen. Hits me and he goes, you need to hire someone to do that now. Like You shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, what are you hitting me on the head for? But he was right. <laughs> so I shouldn't have been sitting there uh, doing customer support emails because you have to, you can't pay attention to every customer. That's the most important thing. Um, just one of our portfolio companies yesterday uh, and our fund was talking to us about, they're like, yeah, we're, we're growing, blah, blah, blah. But the only thing we have to focus on right now is our 
customers are complaining a little bit on customer support. It's like, no, you need to drop everything and establish a phone number or a dedicated email address with a good ticketing system and guarantee response within like 48 hours or even sooner than that, because yeah. that will be the downfall of your company. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, th I think I think I think a lot of companies in the crypto space, particularly in the U.S., they're kind of um, fashioned on a Silicon Valley tech company model, and in in those models, you know, when there's an issue, they don't want to talk to you. Um, you know, at, at Facebook or whatever, like you can't, you know, you can't get to a person there, and that that just doesn't work. You know, crypto, particularly if you're newer to the market. It's it's a it's fairly complex. There's real risk attached to it. There's um, you know a lot of uh, different ways you can participate. So a conversation is crucial, I think. So at Bitstamp, we this is how we center our model on on the ability to have a human conversation. I did, our stats say uh, 22 seconds is the typical wow. you know wait time to get to a person. I still see a gap though, and this this actually brings me to like a larger potentially macro issue and where we are as an industry is that over the last two years in that crazy, like two bull markets that kind of many ones that we had in 2020, 2021, is that we tend to, as an industry, promise great build, promise great things. And because we have tokens, people can speculate on the future value of these amazing, great technologies. But then when we can't service that customer and the user experience is not as good. That's where we people lose and that's where we get into bear markets and that's when people dump their tokens and things like that. So like, how can we change that as an industry? Yeah, well, I think to your point, uh, first of all, making sure the customer support thing works and is properly prioritized or positioned by the company, yes. right? So that, that I, I just couldn't agree more with what you said. If if that's not prioritized, it's going to be, you know, that those companies aren't going to uh, be sustainable, I think. But then the second thing is, you know, I think those of us who have been in the market for a period of time, um, you know, you, you longer than me, but, you know, for, for, for years, um, need to speak more about how to take advantage uh, of all the phases of the different cycles, obviously that it's cyclical and then how to take advantage of the cycle. So I remember uh, I was at Kraken in 2019 or 2018, really end of 2018 when Dismal things times. really flattened out and, yeah. and 2019 and, you know, wow, I, I was um, very, very concerned about how to uh, live with the uncertainty of not knowing, you know, at what point the markets would would start uh, cooperating again, and and at that point it was Jesse, and I, I learned a tremendous amount from Jesse. But he had lived through a little bit more than I had, and um, you know, it, that it's that longer term perspective that I think benefits. So to answer your question, I think those of us who have been in the marketplace a little bit longer need to communicate more to those who are newer to the market to. Um, you know, understand better how cycles work and understand better how markets um, operate in, in downturns and upturns. There's no such thing as a market that only goes one direction, it doesn't exist. So we have to make sure people understand how to manage for the long term, I think. Yeah, I have a friend, every time I say, yeah, are we in a bear market? He goes, no, we just extended our permanent bull market. 
<laughs> exactly. Since we're taking a break, it's just an extension. But these technologies. From definitely... perspective, I'm I'm sorry. No, what did, he, what did he say? I was going to say, you know, the, you you say we're taking a breather, like like uh, uh, Bitstamp and and really all the companies in the space. You know, we we all look at these um, these bear markets as an opportunity to uh, literally, um, you know, exhale and start building for the next, you know, the next um, adopt. Um, it's obviously not welcomed when markets flatten out if you're an exchange, but it does enable us to make progress on product. So let's talk about that because the the that it always works. What you just said through through so many bull and bear cycles, as long if you get out of the mentality of like, will crypto exist anymore, and start to say it will, it's just going through cycles. But in the early bear markets. Now, even 2017 to a lot of people were like, will this thing ever recover? Will crypto exist or is it going, by the way? Even nowadays, obviously, the more people still believe that, the more opportunity there's going to be. And once the whole world realizes this technology, then the opportunities won't you know, be there anymore. So I look at this all as an opportunity. But in like the larger like, like macro kind of like where we are in this cycle, the only time that I've failed in that is timing. Timing is everything. Like starting the right company, the right product, when you launch your mainnet, if you do have a token, uh, uh, the relationship between everything, like how you build, when you launch, what type of market you want to get into. It's hard thing to time. Like it's forget about catch the falling knife, but like when do you launch your project? Do you wait six months? Do you launch into a bear market? Everyone always has these questions um, about timing and, you know, timing is everything. I'm trying to think of like specific examples, but almost every company that I know that's around today was launched during a bear market. So I guess my question to you is, if the larger macro world is obviously overhanging crypto, you got an, and crypto adoption, obviously if people don't have money to, if they're uncertain about their future income or they're uncertain about their future purchasing power, they're going to be less uh, inclined to want to work in or for a risky industry and invest in a risky industry. So the macro world, and now I'm getting to a question, is, is all based on attitude uh, right now of like central banks and the political world on crypto. And so it's, it's like inflation is a big part of it. There's the war in Russia and Ukraine, and then there's like inflation and everything. I think a lot of those things will go away in the very near term. The attitudes, what's the attitude towards Bitcoin and crypto in the in Washington, D.C.? And I hate to use a specific example, but like obviously a lot of the world's regulatory environment follows the U.S. and things like that. So kind of where's the attitude right now? Has it changed? Are we going to see a difference in the elections that are coming up soon? Yeah, great, great question. I, um, here's my view of it. Uh, in, in 2021, you know, we we or the crypto industry really crossed the threshold, I think, in people's consciousness from. Is it ever going is it going to be around to yeah. it's here and now how do we how do we deal with it, either either from an investor standpoint or from a lawmaker standpoint or a regulator standpoint? So and that's incredibly important. Um, and then. Uh, proof points to me for this are things such as the executive order from from President Biden 
you know, that, that, that was not, um, I think it was very smartly the way they, they constructed that in a couple of ways, you know, firstly, they, it was not about, you know, explore the viability of this. Um, um, it was very much about, uh, you know, study it and determine a framework to help manage it and manage it in a positive way. So, and I actually, that was meaningful to me that he didn't, uh, or, or his team didn't try to rush the regulators. You know, you have six months to come up with a framework that we have to implement. No, he, he said, study it because uh -huh. he wants to get it right. And I think he wants to get it right because of the importance of, of, of doing it right for competitive competitiveness of the U.S. economy on the global stage. So if we get it wrong, if we get the regulatory framework and regime wrong, I think you know we're you know, all that crypto kind of opportunity is going to go elsewhere, and the innovation that goes with it. Um, so that to me is a proof point that we've crossed that threshold now, and it's more about how do we make the most of it. It seems like stable coins are in the front of everyone's minds, and I get why because. Tether is the biggest uh, elephant in the room and uh, for better or for worse, right? It doesn't matter. Everyone uh, likes other stable coins versus others. You have Circle, USDC, then you have like the hybrid ones. We saw UST collapse, but there are still other companies that are trying, you know, Tron is trying to do their, their version of, of what UST was. So there's this whole, and that kind of backs the, the industry in a way, but if, because you, if you remember, they're all the early trading pairs were against Bitcoin. So everything was against Bitcoin. So you trade any token that existed, even early Ethereum trading pair was against Bitcoin. And then it became against dollars. But then you have to trust like whose dollars, because dollars in one exchange is worth different. You know, dollars in Bitstamp have more value than dollars in, let's just say, like, uh, you know, like BTCE or Mt. Gox because they collapsed and no one got their dollars out. So you have to create the stablecoin thing that could be moved from one place to the other. Are we going to see good like stablecoin regulations? Are we going to see like like a way forward with our current stablecoins, or is it going to be like the current ones that are out of compliance are going to have to shut down? I know it's specifically pointed questions, but you're one of the best people that I've talked to to help answer them. Yeah, uh, you know, my short answer is yes. We'll see. We'll see regulation in this. I think it's an obvious area. Uh, to to do to do common sense, hopefully regulation, and um, and it's it's clearly in the crosshairs from a legislative and and a, and a regulator standpoint in the U.S. Um, and it makes sense, uh, you know. But stable coins, to your point, play a really important function. They they reduce so many frictions for for investors and for traders and. Um, and it's a, it's just a genius thing that that enables you know efficiency. Um, however, people you know because they've become so big, just the you know the scale yeah. of it is so That's huge. That's what today the scary across, thing is: is just how big it is. Yeah, USDT and and USDC and 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 others. So um, so yeah, people when they when they hold one or when they use one, they should they should have um, the understanding of what's behind it. And, uh, and, you know, for certain of them, that's very clear today. And for others, as you mentioned, it's not clear today. Do you have other advice for, for folks starting projects and businesses now in terms of like how they should approach VCs or do you guys invest in, in projects? 
We do. We do. We have a, a, a corporate development team, a small corporate development team that does strategic investments, um, both trying to foster innovation and also, uh, you know, trying to, um, you know, create create good investments for Bitstamp and good partnerships, basically. You guys never lost your way, it sounds like. It's heartwarming because that, like, you never lost the reason why we're here in the first place. It's the reason I started this show, to almost, like, remind people of why people got excited about this Bitcoin thing in the very early days. Uh, it's probably one of the most disheartening things. It's why I still go to conferences a lot just to see people and see the excitement again and things like that. Um, and I know I asked you early on in, in the show, but do you, you see you, when you're traveling outside of the world, do you still see a lot of that excitement from, from small meetups and groups and, and startups and, and are, are people launching projects with not just like whatever product they're building, but obviously are they doing it for the reasons uh, and are you guys investing in entrepreneurs that are doing things for those reasons? Are you pushing that same kind of ethos? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I appreciate the way you characterize Bitstamp, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, you know, we're mission-driven. We're true believers. We, we, we really want this technology to um, fulfill the you know all the possibilities that created it so um and so we're and we're still kids about it we're still excited <laughs> we still get excited yeah. and to answer your question yes i mean um the best example for me is is in miami for the bitcoin conference uh in april um that that was even even for me who's been in the trenches in the industry for four or five years um that was really energizing uh because first of all it's just a massive conference and um but the the excitement uh and the and the kind of collision of there are a lot of established companies there there's a lot of startups literally like started up you know that month seems like um and then just a lot of just retail enthusiasts all coming together and uh, it was it was it was truly energizing for us. But to answer your question, yes, there's I still think pound for pound, there's more innovation coming out of the crypto sphere than anywhere else in, in the world on the planet, including AI or any any other kind of key technology areas. And yeah, um, there's just no slowing down. I love that that term you used colliding. I like title the show, actually, like colliding traditional finance and and DeFi or something like that. I like that term because it's not like a, like we're like merging these worlds together. We're like colliding them together and shit breaks. And, but you come out with some really great things on the other side. Definitely. Definitely. That's how it feels. Um, I was having a conversation with someone about this yesterday, about kind of like watershed moments and collisions. And we're trying to like pinpoint specific moments. And these are like, you never find the answers because there's always more, but it's fun to have these conversations. Um, you looked at like Ethereum as a big watershed moment because it, it allowed it was the first time like that uh, uh, we saw the 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 demand and the ability to do like transactional assets on top of a blockchain and that really changed everything with smart contracts uh, and I would argue and so I was arguing that with someone we were having a show about it too that Uniswap was a huge moment because Uniswap was the first time that through a, a you can have a decentralized type of real-time order book for 
s- small assets with liquidity pools and and AMMs, auto, you know, automated market makers and things like that. Um, and I didn't understand any of those worlds until Uniswap had existed. You probably, when you probably heard about that, like Uniswap for the first time, it was probably blowing your mind because you had worked in these worlds of like futures and trading and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, on the one hand, uh, truly exciting, the possibilities. I mean, when you start really getting into what's possible with a smart contract, blockchain established um, you know, society almost, the, the possibilities are endless, what, what could be accomplished and how efficiently it could be accomplished. Um, however, as an exchange guy, uh, you know, I've also had the, a moment of terror um, where you start to wonder, well, wait a sec, uh, you know, where is the value for, um, for a centralized, governed, regulated, you know, entity in, 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 in this equation? And I've come to, you know, appreciate both and, and, and having, you know, participating in both myself, there's, I think, plenty of room, right? Um, the, to me, and what I tell people uh, when asked is, it's today, it's just a different, it's a different risk profile and, and, and a different value proposition, therefore. So, so the, the Uniswap or, or the core DeFi um, opportunity today, although it's still fast evolving, um, is different than it is on a centralized exchange or or a, or a different kind of marketplace where um, where where it's a little bit more uh, transparent and regulated. So um, so, but I think from an ecosystem perspective, it's awesome. Like we need both. I'm curious to see where the innovation takes us. One of the things that people have been trying to get pushed through is this like Bitcoin spot ETF to allow people uh, in the U.S. stock market to essentially buy pieces of Bitcoin with the lowest amount of like management fees. You have like grayscale products and things like that, but a a spot Bitcoin ETF would completely change the world for for Bitcoin and crypto would lead the ways for potentially other ETFs and things like that. Given that we do have industry ETFs, the SEC has pushed back every year, every six months, calling our our markets still too manipulated, although all markets are manipulated to some extent. Do you know what do you feel about all that? Like you know, being a, an, an exchange where people are spot trading, and in fact, your price, your pricing data will probably have a relation with this ETF. I'm assuming. Like, how do you feel about all of that? Yeah. It's, well, you know, firstly, I think in many ways the crypto marketplace is. Um, is is the least manipulated yeah, in, in the world Be, because it's because it's it's available to all right you 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 can have direct relationships an exchange can have direct relationships with retail investors brokers banks fintechs professional traders you know um, significant trading operations and everybody is playing the same game in a transparent marketplace. And the traditional side doesn't necessarily operate that way. There's lots of gatekeepers and and intermediaries and 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 not everybody has access like that. so i so I think it's in many ways the fairest. Um, and then secondly, to your point, you know, I, I believe that you know, from a crypto perspective, um, 
an ETF is necessary, right? So if if you're if you're really in if you're really committed to adoption, just like regulation, you know, regulation isn't the most fun thing in the world. But if you're really committed to adoption, then you you're going to have to have regulation. You're going to have to have common sense frameworks that people can trust, that consumers um, who are not the early adopters can get comfortable with and 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 trust. So I feel the same way about an ETF. An ETF is just a necessary piece to make it more available, more trusted, and therefore more adopted and more integrated into society. That's that's what I want. I think it's the first time in like the history of financial markets where like could you could you imagine how that would work? like so the gold ETF was created was created because like well I don't know why specifically, but in my mind you have all these fractured gold markets and how do you define like who's holding gold and how is that traded? So they created like a centralized institutional capital way of doing it. But with Bitcoin, you could argue that like the spot places are better. I mean, it's better to just go to Bitstamp. It's better to go to a retail site. It's, But I understand why you need the ETF. So how would that work? Like who would be the price discovery mechanism? Would it be the spot places? Who would have more volume? Yeah. Well, no, it's a great question. And there's <laughs> some there's some microstructure and macrostructure questions that need to be need to yeah. be handled I, you know i personally think that you know, today the spot exchanges are the price discovery mechanism they're they're certainly um you know have the requisite volume participation and depth you know in terms of a marketplace um however it's evolving the derivative space is, is continues to grow significantly and it'll be interesting when and if there's an etf uh, to see how to see how that evolves Oh, man. And that would really not only on that side, but also tokenized stocks will change the world, too, because, you know, investing in the U.S. stock market, it's not something that everyone can do. Even if you're American, you have to, like, open up accounts of certain, like, you know, companies like Schwab and stuff, they have to approve you, like, through compliance. If you want to be, like, a foreign citizen, there's, like, tax ramifications, paperwork, bank accounts, there's all this stuff. And then you got to be smart enough to invest in the right companies. And there's tax ramifications on when you sell, because most of the brokers are going to take your taxes out of it. If you're someone in like the the real world out there who's trading crypto, the, the U.S. stock market is beyond anyone's like thoughts. But imagine if on the other side, anyone can trade and invest in the world. Imagine if right now we had the ability to invest in companies in other places. You'd have like jurisdictions via you'd have jurisdictions fighting to be the best like places to host these things. Like countries would want, would like, like would make their legal structures faster. Like it would really make the whole playing field completely. Even this is the type of stuff that gets me excited about, about still being in Bitcoin and crypto today. Yeah, it's cool. We almost need a, a global marketplace for marketplaces, like to see where, to see where the business where the business flows to, but, but, you know, you're absolutely right. It's, um, it's quite amazing, uh, how important I think it is on the political agenda and on the, you know, from the standpoint of, of citizens to make sure that, you know, we, you know, obviously that we, whatever jurisdiction you're in has a strong, reliable economy, but also that it's now a global game 
So it's a little bit competitive. Um, it's, it's, it, we, we can't just think about ourselves in the U.S. Or, or, again, in whatever jurisdiction you're in. We have to think about the globe and how we're going to show up and you know, how we're going to do the best for our citizens and, and our best for the world. So it's, it's wide open right now and, and I think getting, getting really interesting. Um, and by the way, I, I mentioned this survey earlier, this Bitstamp survey that we did uh, that was that was quite broad. And one of the things that startled me is for most respondents, the the level of trust in crypto as an investment is uh, is approaching that of equities. It's a couple points away from their level of trust in equities as an investment. And it's even higher than like options and some other kind of derivatives type type investments. So so you know, to your point, this this is not like uh, you know two separate ways to invest or two separate kind of concepts. They're coming together. I just I just actually went on your website, and those who are listening, go to bitstamp.net forward slash crypto dash pulse, and you can access the report right there. I just downloaded it. I mean that's that's free information right there to help me get a leg up on anyone else. If you're investing or buying yeah. anything, like this is. Thank you so much for that. And uh, thanks for taking some time out of, of your day and your travels and, and talking to us. And I really appreciate it. Um, Bobby Zagata, CEO of Bitstamp. Uh, if you've not used Bitstamp, then you've been living under a rock because it's the, one of the oldest companies around. Enjoy it. Thank you guys for still doing what you do. And, and I hope to talk to you again in next year so we can hear what, how things have changed. Great, Charlie. Thanks for being here. Love, love, love to talk about this stuff.